couple of verses here. We'll start there. Where are we at again? I'm sorry. Isaiah 5. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to read uh, well I'll read well, let me just read well let me just read the first verse. <laughs> okay. Jim don't answer. You know, you know the answer. All right. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, and built a watchtower in the midst of it. Uh, does that sound like any other place or places in Scripture to you? Craig knows the answer. Yes. The, Where? The book that's begins with E by Solomon. <laughs> book. Which is that I'm still drinking coffee. <laughs> Solomon. Song of Solomon, is that what you're saying? Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes? I was thinking Ecclesiastes. No. But yeah, Song of Solomon. No, no. Song of Solomon. Yeah. It sounds a lot like Song of Solomon. Let me go ahead and read, some of this doesn't sound like Song of Solomon. Let me go ahead and read through, I don't know. Let me read through verse 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it with stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, it, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So... Isaiah finally uh, spills the beans here as if we didn't know already but the vineyard is the house of Israel and basically that's the symbolism of the vineyard in it both in Old Testament and New although we could go ahead and apply it then to the church in the New Testament the Israel of God but um, so the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but, but behold, an outcry. Let's go back to verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. This phrase, my beloved, particularly in that last line there, is so um, used so much in the Song of Solomon. The Hebrew word is dodi, if you want in English to be something like D-O-D-I, my beloved. And it, it's just all over the place in Song of Solomon. 
English makes it hard on you sometime in the Song of Solomon to know who's speaking because sometimes they translate my beloved, the man, the woman talking to the man. Sometimes my beloved, the man talking to the woman. But in Hebrew, it's a lot clearer. Those are separate words. And in fact, even in Spanish Bible, they make it easy on you because my beloved, mi amado, is always the woman's talking to the man. My friend, amiga mia, the man's always talking to the woman. So you can understand it. And so that's, because it has a gender nouns? Uh, uh, the downs. Uh, uh, I, I would say uh, you mean in, in Hebrew. You mean or well, Spanish. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That would be masculine and feminine yeah. in terms of the nouns. Yes. Correct. But they use different words. But they use different. They use different words. Yeah. My my friend, my friend. They call it in in Spanish is the woman. You know my. It's always my friend and my beloved is always the one I'm talking to the man. So you can understand it. Sometimes in English it makes it hard on you because of, well, whatever our English problems are, uh, to, to really see it. However, this word here, my beloved, really, uh, it really stood out to me because, I, I mean, I know that this is just, the Song of Solomon is just on every page. I mean, it just goes on and on and on with that. So... My beloved comes in here again as in the Song of Solomon. And uh, so let, let me read one other thing here. This Solomonic literature would have been available, let's say, to Isaiah uh, because the song was written in about 1000 B.C. and let's say Isaiah around 700 B.C. So it would have been available to him. It seems to me that that's what's happening here. Also, the... the the type of the vineyard is just used in the Old Testament and the New. I mean, just so much, you know. And New Testament too. Yes. Yes. So let's look at Song of Solomon, chapter eight, beginning at verse eleven. For the beloved and his vineyard. Yes. Uh, yes, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. <clears throat> Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. The woman says, My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit 200. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Uh, so this is, as I understand it, the woman speaking here about Solomon's vineyard. And Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Hamon. You cannot imagine how much time I have spent on the internet trying to find out where this place is located. And I have been frustrated in every attempt because no one really knows. Uh, there's a place over in Carthage where it seems they worshiped this Baal Hamon, but Carthage is a long way away from Solomon's kingdom. I mean, it's over in Tunisia, you know? Yes, North Africa. I mean, so, no, I doesn't say, and then they say, well, it could be here, it could be here, and this and that. Okay, nobody knows. 
So it very yeah 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 yes 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 well that's that yeah that's the name so I do <laughs> and we're just about we're just about to get there. It doesn't mean ham. No, it doesn't mean ham. As David said, Baal means well. Baal's a false god, but it does mean Lord. So uh, it'd be a Canaanite name for Lord. And the Israelites had gotten so eaten up with the surrounding culture in the book of Hosea, you can see it, that the women were addressing their husband as Bali, Baal with an I after it, which means my Lord. But it's not Hebrew, it's Canaanite language. So Canaanite language had infected the Hebrew. I mean, all languages borrow from each other, but but symbolically, symbolically, Israel was having a problem. And Hosea, or God says through Hosea, one day is coming when I'm going to clean your speech up. You're going to have pure speech. You won't use this Bali stuff anymore. But uh, but today is not the day. When I preach it, I say, one day God's going to clean my speech up too, and I'm going to have perfect speech. But but today's not that day. <laughs> yes? Well, it's not just... Baal is not just any pagan god. It's the fertility god. Okay. Well, that's, that's significant because Song of Solomon is using the fertility of the land mm-hmm. all throughout the yeah. poem. And that's, that ends up being, that's what this is about, too. Mm-hmm. It's the song of the vineyard. It's production. It's production. It's, um, it's production. The, the land being cultivated by heaven, just like, you know, the, the female is cultivated by the masculine. I mean, the symbolism is all throughout. Yeah, so. It's production and reproduction, yeah. exactly. It's a very particular pagan god being used for a particular Okay, here. very good. Well, Amon is my lord? No, Baal is lord. Oh, okay. B B double A Baal is my is Lord and Hamon means multitude. So Solomon had a vineyard and he is guess what the Lord of a multitude. If we want to, if we want to do symbolism here, if Solomon represents Christ, then yeah, I mean, well, he is Lord of a multitude. I mean, we're not the only Christians left in Dodge, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's some other ones out there, although we may not believe it, but there are some other ones out there. Love covers a multitude. Yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> Nick, did you have something? No? no, no, no. <laughs> just over here. <laughs> just listening. Just enjoying it. All right. Look then. Verse 11 in Song of Solomon. Again, Connor's already mentioned it. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. So... <clears throat> What is Solomon expecting here, I mean, from his vineyard? Or what is Christ, therefore, expecting from his vineyard? He's expecting production. He's expecting a return. The vineyard should be producing. In Song of Solomon, in verse 12, the woman says, My vineyard is my very own, is before me. You, Solomon, may have the thousand, the keepers, the fruit, two hundred. So we have two senses here. In a literal sense... As uh, Connor has said, the vineyard, the, the, when the woman talks about this, she's talking about her reproductive ability that she can produce. Okay? But, but even more so here, now, we're talking about a more like an actual vineyard that is producing. 
okay, let's say good wine, and Solomon is going to have a thousand pieces of silver as his return. And it's so productive that the workers can have 200 pieces of silver also. So this is a productive vineyard. All right. Song of Solomon is an idealized, as you obviously know, I mean, picture is ideal. I need a lot of symbolism and stuff, and I, I think really Christ in the church, but I mean, there's a lot of symbolism here. Uh, so, the vineyard then is the place of production, and Solomon, that is Christ, desires and is expecting production. So if the vineyard is us, the church, Christ very well is expecting us to produce or to reproduce, if you like. I mean, uh, you know, so that could be evangelism. It could be discipleship. It could be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. How is it? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's production. That's spiritual production is the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things. And Christ very well expects us to be to produce. So this is kind of the background that I got on it from uh, from the song that Isaiah is quoting, uh, not quoting from, but is mm, riffing on in uh, chapter five, verse one. David. Does not fail, although because given our pessimistic nature, we may think so, but it doesn't. Well, but we have an advantage. Yeah, we got Christ. Christ is divine. <laughs> yeah, that's the advantage. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody's on board here. I think so. Let's uh, let's go on. Then, uh, and in verse two. Continue to talk about the vineyard in Isaiah 5. He, he plants it, clears it out, builds a watchtower in the midst, makes wine, hews out a wine vat, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Uh, the, uh, the Hebrew is not quite so kind here on this. Uh, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded nasty things. Hebrew. <laughs> not my, yeah. Yeah, nasty stuff. Uh, so not even, you know, a, not even a, a small amount of production, but bad production. Yeah, bad production. Worthless. So, it's not like you're just completely forsaking some kind of religion. Nothing. You're embracing a bad religion. So, so you're still, you're still, you're still producing something, but it's nasty. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not righteousness. It's not, it's not, not producing. It's just producing, producing bad. bad. Exactly. Which is worse. Which yeah. Is worse. Exactly. This is a this is a different image, um, but Paul talks about Gentiles being the wild olive branch yes. grafted onto the olive tree. Yeah. So, you know, wild olives, wild grapes. Possibly, yes. This is like yes. Gentile stuff, which yes. would be nasty things. But as we've been inserted back into the root, then it 
We better get yeah, grapes. You know, when you get to Christ, olive grove. Yeah, good grapes. Good, good, good <laughs> he, olives. He redeems the, the nasty things. Yeah. It's a, it's a little off the topic, but the watchtower and the vineyard it reminds me of the Song of Solomon, the place where his, uh, I guess she was his, uh, the wife of his youth, and she worried about how dark she was because her <laughs> brothers required her to build yeah. a watch person. My brothers were angry was, with me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I've always thought it was kind of sweet. Made me number keepers one, that she had to do her part in the family, yeah. but number two, you know, that she was just kind of worried whether being darker you know, made her not pretty. Yeah, and also we could say this woman was not some kind of wallflower. I mean, she knew how to work. You know? yeah. Yeah. She was a worker. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. The Septuagint, when it talks about the wild grapes, the sour grapes, yes. the Septuagint translates that thorn plants, thorn bushes. Well, so we're back to the curse of the fall at Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> it's all bad. Well, right? yeah. But also the, the burning bush was bramble. Well, and then, but that has a lot of symbolism. That has a good, sim- uh, has a good connotation, though, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, again, it's redemption. Yeah. The crown of thorns. All right. Questions? Yes, Jim. Mm-hmm. Could you say, uh, relating to this, that uh, uh, faith produces works? Yeah. If we're abiding in Christ, faith produces good works. Yes. Uh, whatsoever is not faith is sin. Okay. So it could be. Good production, bad works. production. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. Let's go on then. Uh, let's see. We've talked about. Hard to sell them nasty Pardon? Hard to sell them nasty I know it. <laughs> well, and not, and not, not to keep uh, beating a dead horse, but uh, you've also got, I think, is in Isaiah, the story of the uh, thorn bush. Maybe. Or no, no, this was a prophecy by somebody, uh, or a parable. Anyway, the thorn okay. bush that elevates himself over yeah, the yeah. trees. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Well, let's go on then. Uh, uh, Verse 7, the vineyard is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. And for righteousness, behold, an outcry. So he's looking for righteousness in the church and justice in the church. So how horrible whatsoever that all of this adultery problem is plaguing us in the church and Pastor after pastor are falling in this, you know. I mean, what a slam! And uh, so, this is where we are. The church is made up of fallen people. I know, but we need to be producing good fruit. Paul Jackson shared one thing last night when he said he he likes to play basketball. He was working out with the basketball team on Wednesday night, and then it was Wednesday he had to get he was a dinner with the pastor. He had to get to the church quickly and had time to really change. So he went to Wednesday night and they met him. Didn't meet in the sanctuary, they met in the gym and, uh, for prayer. And he gets there and he said, the fact that he was wearing shorts just ate in to half the crowd. <laughs> so they're not gossiping with one another about, we got, this guy can't be here much longer. <laughs> so, it's possible. He wore shorts to church. <laughs> Wisdom is vindicated and, and by he her children. The woman, he said, consequently, the woman that was kind of the head of that group, she was working on her fourth marriage. 
Working on it. All right, good production. Uh, so, um, yes. Uh, what if? Where does it say so? I will break down it. Verse five. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. So God now is uh, is actively, uh, what should we say, against Israel? I mean, he's for Israel, but I mean, he's he's doing things here in Israel. What if its wall is broken down? Let's read a parallel passage and spiritualize it a little bit. In Proverbs chapter twenty-four, verse thirty. Sure, you're familiar with it. Proverbs 24. Yes. Yes. This is. Again, 24. 24 30. It's a little story here which says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard. There we go again. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. This vineyard shows up everywhere. Uh, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The grounds were covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. There it is. The stone wall surrounding is broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber. Lowling the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a robber, and your want like a man that walks. Hmm? So like a man when I. That what? That's it's more literally. That walks. That walks, yeah. It's like an armed, armed robber. I know. So usually, if I were teaching this in Proverbs, I would just say, well, you know, stop hanging around at home with mom and dad. I mean, get up and get a job, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's what... Well, he, he's three jobs have been offered to you this week. But let's spiritualize a little bit here. And uh, the vineyard then is Israel. And what if this wall, what if God, you know, as he says in Isaiah, God pulls the wall down that's protecting Israel? What if, well, it's, a bad, it's just a bad situation. I mean, I think, you know, we can, we can read this and just take counsel here. Well, literally, the walls of Jerusalem fell. Well, yes. They did. That was a it's a bad scene, yeah, for sure. Okay, anybody else? We're not going so fast here, but it, it seems to me that in a lot of these judgments that God levies against Israel, He's not so much inserting something into the story as He is just sort of leaving them to their own devices. <laughs> You know, the vineyard is naturally just going to fall apart unless it's well cultivated. Yes. So God's judgment against Israel is just to let it happen. Let them go their own way. Yeah. Yes. And it's yes. Not, he's not stepping yes. in and doing something. To yes, him. brother. Well, that would be God's judgment against a, a human being if He just lets us go our own way. I mean. So, so if we take this translation from verse two as thorn plants. Yeah. It makes uh, it sort of changes how you read verse six because he says, "I will make it a waste; it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns well, will grow up." Well, there, you know, that's what's going to happen. That's just what's going to happen. Cultivate it. That's you, what you get. That's it. So. it. It'll grow back up. But he, did, he does. He does uh, send men like Isaiah. Well, he yeah. sure. He sends a warning. 
Well, Isaiah and Hosea and these men are preaching Isaiah the same had stuff. His effect on Hezekiah, yeah. you know, when the city was under siege Indeed. in his lifetime, and, and God laid waste to the Assyrian army. Well, maybe this is an encouragement for us, and for Nick's not here, but to continue to preach and continue to teach and continue to talk about Christ with other folks. I mean, yes. then, what else can we do? On the other hand, we've got God directly intervening and pardoning the heart of Pharaoh. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. yeah he does that, what he wants. To he do. does. That's yeah. his business, you know. That's, and he also that's what he does. Yeah. I'm it, sorry. It can get worse than just yeah. him being absent. Oh, oh, it could. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it could. All right. Let's continue then. Um, yes, verse seven. For the vineyard of the Lord of Hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed and righteousness. And behold, an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room. And you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, whatever that measure is, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Uh, again, this is just following on on this judgment against the vineyard here. I mean, we've got the vineyard out here, but it's just not yielding very much. There, there's not much produce coming out of it. That's the sense of it. <clears throat> Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink and tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like Nebuchadnezzar and many others. Look at the great empire that I've made for myself. And, you know, not acknowledging God's blessing here. Uh, 13. Therefore my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. So, therefore, exile is coming. And so Isaiah, you know, the prophets, they're just, say, look, I mean, <laughs> exile is coming. Uh, you know, get ready. Um, and Isaiah, who was, uh, Hosea, I believe, is a contemporary with Isaiah. Hosea uh, is a prophet in, in the northern kingdom up in Israel. And Isaiah, more so in Judah in the southern kingdom. But Hosea, if you'll remember that, or if, you, if it's on your mind, uh, says the same, same thing. My people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Let's look at Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If anybody has it, you can maybe read it. Hosea what? Four, one through six. <clears throat> you want me to read it? Yeah, please. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery, well. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear. 
In number four? Yes, four through six. Go ahead. Oh, four through six. Okay. Yet let no one find fault. Let no one offer reproof. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. So you will stumble by day, and the prophet also will stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Your people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being my priest since you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. It's a famous passage in Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I would say, I mean, this is Old Testament, but I would say we could just read this, I mean, in terms of the church. And so what, what would we say how would you comment on that, that our people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge? But true knowledge comes from God. You know, so what else? Well, knowing Him, you know, so. knowing him uh, you could also say, you know, understanding prophecy, you know, not knowing the, the coming Messiah. What else? A famine of hearing the word of God. Jesus has said at the end, there'll be those that say, Lord, we did this for you and did that for you. But he'll tell them, go away from me. I never knew them. Wow. Yeah. What else? Well, it's easy. In the Testament here, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they had all this great understanding of the scripture based upon their interpretation of what the Old Testament is saying. And then along comes this uh, crazy Jesus and uh, you know, and they, they don't have the true knowledge. They, they can't, their, their knowledge, even their knowledge of the scriptures is not true because they misinterpret. Wow. And the next thing you know, they're whitewashed sepulchers. Well, so how are our people dying for lack of knowledge then? Well, you know, How? It's the root word. Yeah. Knowledge problem. I, I didn't see it. Because, you know, I've always associated that, you know, it's like he went in and he knew his wife, and then something wonderful happens a baby is born. You know, well, I mean, this, I mean, you can apply that to spiritual production. Yeah. yeah the salvation experience is yeah. something true grows from. Our, church, our churches, take, they, they take, they take modern culture, whatever culture they have, and they try then to apply what God says to that particular culture. And so it adjusts the word of God. They adjust it. The culture, whereas we should should let let the Bible Bible adjust our culture, not the other way around. Okay. Well, if nobody's going to say it, I'm going to say it. I think that our people are dying because they're not reading the Bible enough. True, yes, true interpretation, sure. Absolutely. But it's because we're biblically ignorant that, uh, I mean, we don't know. Faith comes by hearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, this doesn't really answer your question, but there is an interesting thing in verse 6 where he says, I will reject you from being priest for me. See? There's nothing else in here that makes it directed at the Aaronic priests. So it is the church that is a nation of priests. Indeed, and God will reject it. Well, I hope not all of us, but some of us from being priests. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, let's look at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I assume this is, well, let's see. Well, I don't know if this, well, we'll go ahead and read it. I don't know if this is the right. What did you say? Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it anyway. Come, let us return to the Lord. Well, that's good. Uh, Chapter 6, Hosea. (laughs) Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. So in a way, Hosea is prophesying out in the future after all this disaster happens to Israel. He's warning them about it. He's, you know, you're going into exile because of lack of knowledge. I mean, it's a problem, you know. Uh, He has struck us down. He will bind us up. Look at this. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Three days. Resurrection. That we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And what shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I I have hewn them by the prophets. (laughs) The prophets are wielding their axes against Israel here. Was it Israel where they uh, whoopsie found the scriptures and then started reading it to the people? It was in Judah in the temple, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They hadn't heard it. Yeah, yeah. Their generation. It was Israel, right? It was was Judah. It was in in Jerusalem. That was under King Josiah, who was... The book of the law. The book of the law. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire, I desire steadfast love, or really mercy, and not sacrifice, for and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. So here's how, here's how we're going astray, and it's, uh, we're, it's, it's what you've said, and and what I've said. Uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, okay? He desires us to be merciful toward our enemies, be living the life of Christ. Yes. And he desires knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And it seems to me we're just not reading the Bible enough. That's my sermon for today. Well, (laughs) Jesus invokes that verse and says, explain to me what this means. I desire desire mercy. mercy and not sacrifice. And he leaves out the end, the, the second phrase. Yeah. I'm, 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 there's people that they, you know, this is how they would describe this guy knows just enough of the Bible to make himself well, really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to be Bible scholars here. I'm just arguing just for reading it. Just read it. Just read it. And God will speak to you. You know? That's right. <clears throat> Huh? That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. I agree. <laughs> I agree that I'm right. Okay. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5 again. And uh, we are, let's see here. We just finished verse 13. And, okay, I'm going to go ahead. And, uh, I don't really have much. Ooh, let's see here. Let's see. Man, I've, I've just about done what I had for today. I don't really have much on this. It's a long chapter, and I don't have much. I'll, we'll go ahead and read it. I have a couple of things, and then I'll let you comment on the reading here. I don't, I don't have too much more. Uh, 
uh, verse. Let's see where we were. Thirteen. Let's go to fourteen. Yeah, Isaiah five fourteen. Well, let's we go back to thirteen. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure. And the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude will go down, her revelers and he who exalts in her. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Then shall the lambs graze as in their pasture. And no man shall eat among the ruins of the rich. Wow. Amazing. Think about the scene there, you know. I mean, all these elegant houses are heaps of rubble and people just scratching around in there building a fire and cooking a hot dog or something like that. (laughs) Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood and draw sin as with cart ropes who say, let him be quick, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Uh, Check out the day in which we are living. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's our culture right now. Oh, that's our national culture. Calling evil good and good evil. That's what Russia is saying. Not only Russia, it's it's true. I say it too. situation over there. Just as we could go, high school volleyball t- player you know, refused to go in because there was a guy who said he's a woman yeah. and he That's came crazy. in to watch them undress. That's crazy. She refused to let him do it. They expelled her from school. She can't, she has to find another school. And then uh, uh, told her father, who came to her defense, that you can never walk foot on this campus again. I would say we're calling evil good and good evil. It's sure it's totally it, insane. This goes back to the thing about Baal entering the uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the Jewish language, mm-hmm. English language or Israeli, mm-hmm. Israeli language. Mm-hmm. You control the language. Yes. You yes. control the culture. You good point. If you control the language, you control the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, here we are, folks. Uh, verse 21 woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right therefore as the tongue of fire devours the stubble devours the stubble and as dry grass sinks down in the flame so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom go up like the dust for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were his refuse in the midst of the streets. Wow. For all this his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. He will raise a signal for the nations afar off and whistle for them from the ends of the earth and behold quickly speedily they come none is weary none stumbles none slumbers or sleeps not a waistband is loose not a sandal broken their arrows are sharp all their bows are bent their horses hoofs seem like flint and their wheels like the whirlwind their roaring is like a lion like young lions they roar 
They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue it. They will growl over it on that day, like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by the clouds. Well, it's a, you know pretty amazing, for it, and everything is here, and you can say a comment on, on these. I only have really one thing uh, with two verses in verse 19 and verse 26. In verse 19 it says, uh, Woe to those who say, Let him be quick, let him speed his work. In verse 26 says, He will raise a signal for the nations, a far off whistle for them from the ends of the earth, and behold, quickly, speedily they come. I'm going to say that this is a, a uh, I don't know what you want to call it, it's a prologue to Isaiah naming his son. It's the name of Isaiah's son. We'll get to it here shortly in some of the next chapters. His son's name is the outstanding name of Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which means the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. So it's a theme here in Isaiah. The prey hastens. In other words, the, those that will spoil Israel, they're hastening. They're coming. And that was the name of his son. Uh, the spoil speeds and the prey hasten. So it's kind of a prophetic theme here in Isaiah 5, and then it goes on. What, do you remember the chapter that's in where he names his son? Maybe chapter 9? Or no. I don't remember. It's, it's pretty soon. We'll read it pretty soon here in some of these next few chapters. Uh, Earlier, was it where he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? Yes. And what was the other? Uh, he also uh, well, not burn offerings, but uh, uh, um, knowledge of God and not burn uh, offerings. Knowledge of God. Yeah, uh-huh. I've, always, yeah I've always deeply appreciated the Lord, you know, having that in, in the Amen. Bible. Because to me, that's one of those things that a red flag of authenticity, you know, truth. All right. Because, you know, if some man was just making this stuff up, oh. you know, it's all about having a lot of gods and power and ego. But that's a, a very, you know, to me, that's a very non-ego. That's love, you know. So Beautiful. That's always gotten my attention. That's wonderful. Jim, your hands are here. Yes. One comment. Yes. Not only do they not read the Bible, they despise the Word Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. Yeah, the people that do all these things, they're always trying to find it. Oh, certainly. Well, when, when uh, Jim Jones you know, took over the, did that church on San Francisco and then moved them down to uh, to South America yeah. where they all took poison and died, yeah. basically, like 700 or yeah. yeah. At one point, I was just reading about him, at one point he was in the church and he held up a Bible like this and says, this is what this is, is this what y'all believe in? He threw it to the floor and stomped on it and said, Don't believe this, believe me. And they all got up and started cheering. You know, I never heard I never well, you remember Satan said that he he said, Did God really, really? say? Yeah. That's you know? it. And, uh, That's the thing. I have a friend, he he went to Lambert and uh, first day of like New Testament or something like that, the professor, and I went to Maine and Heaved the Bible to the back of the room, and my friend picked it up, wouldn't give it back to him. Good for him. Got in trouble over it. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs>
Does anyone have anything else? I, I mean, I, I just read this last long section here. I didn't, didn't have anything but that one comment. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But if, if you, so, thank you for your attention. Thank you for your work. Thanks. And we will be in the amazing chapter six next week. So, that's a good job.